Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, the last chapter of this gospel is where the resurrection account is. And then there's the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, which is a wonderful part of it. And then after that, uh, my Bible heading said Jesus appears to his disciples. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, verses 36 down to uh, 43, part of that section. A while back, someone asked me, uh, well, isn't Jesus rising from the dead the same as his ascending into heaven? And it baffled me a little bit at first, but then I thought, well, they're thinking about this the same way we think about ourselves. We die, but that's not the end. We're going to go to be with the Lord. Wasn't Jesus the same? No. Jesus' experience was completely different from that. He rose from the dead, but then he moved about alive in this world for 40 days, about six weeks. And then he ascended into heaven very publicly with his uh, disciples. And the Bible records some of those events that took place during that six-week period. Our text this morning is one such event. When Jesus met with some of his disciples the evening after he rose on that Sunday morning. Let me read it. Luke 24, verse 36, down to 43. While they were still talking about all this, that's the disciples, the people from, the, from Emmaus. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Rise in your mind. Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. From this text, I'd like to point out two simple truths, but profound truths that we need to think about. The first is this. Jesus' resurrection was not a myth. Jesus' resurrection is not a myth. You know, through, throughout history, we humans have lots of myths. We may call them folk tales or legends or fairy tales, but they're always with us. Some involve uh, ancient stories involving uh, myth mythological creatures, which no one ever takes seriously anymore, but used to. Some are tales created for children. Uh, Tales of Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and that kind of stuff. Others are accounts presented as true, though never verified by anyone. Uh, urban legends, which has seemed to circulate for years. Uh, sightings of Sasquatch and the Loch Ness Monster. And the tales of UFOs and close encounters with alien peoples. History is full of such uh, folklore. But folks, Jesus' resurrection is not part of the folklore. It is not a myth. Now, what's the difference? The difference is evidence. Evidence. Myths and folk tales get passed down from generation to generation, but no one even tries to prove that the stories are true. In fact, most people know they're not true. They simply live on in the folklore of a culture quite apart from discussions of evidence. But the resurrection of Jesus is something quite different. 
In Acts chapter 1, the historian Luke tells us that one of the purposes of Jesus being in the world alive those 40 days between when he rose and when he ascended into heaven, one of the purposes was to provide evidence that his resurrection was a historical fact, not folklore. Listen to what Luke wrote. This is in the first part of Acts, volume 2 of Luke's writings. Luke wrote, after his suffering, Jesus showed himself to the apostles he has chosen and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That sounds more like the world we live in, the world of verifiable facts. Consequently, we're not so easily caught up in myths and legends and folklore as people used to be. We want proof. We want eyewitness testimony. That's true on every level of society. It's true in your home. If your three-year-old tells you something, you probably want it verified by an older a child or an adult. It's true in the news business. Responsible journalists will not publish a story unless there are at least two verified sources. It's true in our justice system. He said, she said, arguments don't go anywhere in court. Courts are looking for hard evidence, multiple credible witnesses. So it is with the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus really rose from the dead, there ought to be multiple confirming accounts. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, that is exactly what we have. There the apostle Paul gave us a list of some of the appearances and some of the names of those who saw Jesus alive after he rose from the dead. We, uh, let me read from 1 Corinthians 15. He appeared to Peter. Then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at one time, who are mostly still alive, Paul says, at his time. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul writes, he appeared to me too. Paul was presenting evidence to help us understand and believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. It's not folklore. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. And as we said this morning's text is one account of such an appearance. Now, there had already been many appearances that we know of. Mary Magdalene was the first to see Jesus after he rose from the dead, right outside the tomb. He met with her. And then he appeared later to Simon Peter. Then he appeared to Cleopas and another disciple on the road to Emmaus. And now in our text, Jesus is, uh, uh, is with the 11 plus those, some of those others. As you might guess, they were startled and frightened, not sure what they were seeing. But Jesus spoke peace to them and began to confirm in practical ways that he really was alive, risen from the dead, not some urban legend. Before we get into the details of what happened there in the upper room, think about how important this is. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus rose from the dead. You cannot read your Bible and not realize that's what it teaches. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, the Bible's not trustworthy. 
Jesus boldly claimed that he would rise from the dead and claimed that he did rise from the dead afterwards. And if he is not risen, Jesus lied. You see, this is not an inconsequential matter at all. The apostle Paul put it this way. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses before God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who died already, the believers who died, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. Oh, it matters. It matters. But Jesus' resurrection is not a myth. God confirmed that Jesus rose in the same way that we confirm things, by multiple eyewitness accounts. He did not just give us two or three eyewitnesses, as the law in the Old Testament demanded. He gave us dozens, hundreds of witnesses that we might know for sure. That's the first thing we learn here. But this particular account is teaching us yet another thing, which is our second point. The risen Jesus is not a ghost. The risen Jesus is not a ghost. Do you believe in ghosts? Perhaps not, but many people do. Many people believe that the dead can return in certain places, situations, and even influence people's behavior. It's actually not so surprising for today, as in ancient Greek culture, people still tend to believe in the immortality of the soul. That when the body dies, the soul is then freed from the body and can roam about wherever. So while we encounter, while, while, while the idea of encountering somebody from the realm of dead may be unsettling, uh, that prospect may be unsettling to you, the ancient Greeks and many modern people believe that's quite possible. Might uh, run into Uncle Harry dark room somewhere he died 10 years ago but Jesus is not a ghost that's the point of Jesus encounter with his disciples this resurrection evening to demonstrate to him that he was not a ghost Fred Craddock who's a great uh, expert on the gospel Luke he writes though there are many similarities between this incident and the Emmaus story incident just before it the theme is completely different here the point is the, the corporeality, that is the bodily being of the risen Jesus. The disciples were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. But Jesus was there to tell them and to show them otherwise. So Jesus offers two proofs that he's not a ghost. First, he offers his body to them for examination. He showed them his hands. He showed them his feet. He invited them to touch him. According to John's gospel, a week later, uh, Thomas met with them. He wasn't there in this account, but the next Sunday night, Thomas met with them. 
And then Thomas was a doubter. And he told Thomas, put your hands, put your fingers in my nail prints. Put your hands in, my, in the wound in my side. Jesus was making a point. Ghosts do not have flesh and blood and bones as he had. If you encountered a ghost and you tried to hug a ghost, you get an armload of nothing. But the risen Jesus is not a ghost. They examined his body. Secondly, Jesus asked his disciples for something to eat. They gave him a piece of fish, and he ate it in their presence. Ghosts don't eat food, which again makes the point. Jesus is not a ghost. Folks, we need to understand that the Bible does not teach the immortality of the soul, that view that the body is is mortal, dying, and evil, but the spirit is good and eternal. So that when people die, fortunately, they're finally free from that terrible body, and they're free to roam the earth and do whatever as a spirit. That's not a biblical truth. That is ancient pagan Greek thought. (laughs) What the Bible actually teaches is the resurrection of the body. And Jesus' resurrection was the first such event. He was not to be the first person to be brought back from the dead. The Bible has several examples of people being resuscitated long after CPR would have actually helped. But Jesus is the first to be resurrected with a transformed, immortal body. In other words, when the, when the disciples encountered Jesus, they were not encountering someone from the realm of the dead. They were encountering, encountering Jesus alive, risen, glorious, immortal body. Now, to be honest, that raises terribly difficult questions for us. Tom Wright describes the problem well when he writes, what sort of body did Jesus have? How could it at the same time be solid and real with flesh and bones, able to eat fish and to demonstrate it wasn't a ghost? And also at the same time to appear and disappear, apparently at will, and in the end to be carried off into heaven? Just what sort of body are we talking about? Well, the Apostle Paul addresses our dilemma in 1 Corinthians 15, where he makes the point that the resurrection body is the same body that died, but at the same time, it is a renewed kind of body. He contrasts the natural body with the resurrection body in several ways. He said the old one is earthly, the resurrected one is heavenly. The old one is perishable, the resurrected one is imperishable. The old body is weak, the resurrected one is powerful. The old body is natural, the resurrected one is spiritual. The old body is mortal, the resurrected one is immortal. Now that may help some, but it, that contrast also presents us a problem for when we read in 1 Corinthians that the resurrected body is spiritual. <laughs> we assume that means the resurrected Jesus is a disembodied ghost, not human flesh. But that's not true. He's not a ghost. So what does this mean? Risen Jesus appeared, allowed himself to be touched, ate with his apostles just to prove he's not a disembodied spirit. 
so stick with me a minute while I get a little bit technical here. Let me explain what the word spiritual means. A spiritual body, not an earthly body, but a natural body, but a spiritual body. The Greek word used is not the noun, pneuma, or spirit. That's the word translated ghost in verse 37, again verse 39, where Jesus says he's not a ghost, a spirit, a pneuma. Instead, the word spiritual is an adjective, pneumatikos, the Greek word. Not that you care, but that's what it is, pneumatikos. Here's how Tom Wright explains the difference. He says, Greek adjectives that end in kos, K-O-S, like pneumatikos, do not describe the substance out of which something is made. They describe the force animating the thing in question. Do not describe the substance, but the force animating. So he gives this example. If someone asks, is this a wooden ship or a steel ship? They're asking about the substance of which the ship is made. But if someone asks, is this a nuclear-powered ship or a steam-powered ship? They're not asking about the substance. They're asking about the power which drives or operates the ship. So Christ's resurrected body is not of the substance of a ghost or spirit, but his body, though material, is spirit-powered or spirit-enabled by the Spirit of God. Let me give you another example, straight from the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 10, we read that the children of Israel in the wilderness, uh, we read about them eating the manna and uh, drinking uh, water from the rock. And it says that they ate spiritual food and drank spiritual drink when they ate the manna and drank the water from the rock. So was that manna and that water, was it real food, real tangible manna and water? Or was it ghost man and ghost water? No, it was real food. It was real water. They lived on it for 40 years. But it was food provided by the supernatural power of God's spirit, not food provided by their natural ever efforts at bread making or well digging. That, so what exactly is the contrast between natural and spiritual body. The present natural body is a body animated by the human spirit, the human soul. The future resurrected body that Jesus had will be a body animated by God's spirit and hence not corruptible. Hence immortal. Nevertheless, the resurrected body is a material body, just as the manna was material food. In the res resurrection, God takes the stuff of the old earthly mortal corruptible body and makes out of it a new kind of body, fit for heaven, immortal, incorruptible, although still material body. Now, this may sound strange to your ears. You can go to a lot of Christian funerals and never hear such a thing. We become accustomed to hearing people dying only to become part of the great spirit of life. 
the, uh, the, the, the gentle breeze in your hair and the butterfly landed on your cheek. That's new age gobbledygook. That's old Greek paganism. In contrast, throughout its whole history, the Christian church in all her creeds has confessed what the Bible says, Jesus rose from the dead in the same, albeit changed body in which he was buried. We believe in the resurrection of the body. What difference does it make? Well, there are at least two answers to that. It's important to affirm that the Jesus we now know is the same Jesus who lived and died on the cross. Fred Craddock makes a wonderful observation about this. He says, if Jesus, if the Jesus who died belongs to the historical past, but the one the disciples now follow is the eternal Christ, then the Christian life can take on forms of spirituality that are without the suffering for others, without a cross, without any engagement in the issues of life in this fallen world. All the while expressing devotion to the living spiritual Christ. But the gospel says no, no, to such a definition of discipleship. And sure enough, we can observe that as belief in the resurrection of the body has disintegrated into a belief in the immortality of the soul. Christian spirituality has also disintegrated into some otherworldly, intangible thing which Jesus would not even recognize. Another reason why this matters before we close. Our understanding of the resurrection of Jesus will under, will will form and define our understanding of our own resurrection, our hope for the whole creation. The idea that we will become angels, spirits floating around the sky, distorts the hope which God sets before us in his word. He speaks of a renewed creation, a new heaven, a new earth. It sounds like the Garden of Eden when you read what he says. Eden restored with the curse removed. In fact, the final picture in the last chapters of the book of Revelation looks very, very similar to the beginning picture, the first chapters of, of uh, Genesis before sin ever entered the picture. God made us human beings, body and soul, and he put us in a beautiful, beautiful physical creation which he had made, and that's where we can expect to find ourselves in the future. We will be re renewed human beings in a renewed creation, a new heaven and a new earth, not some absurd other kind of existence. How do we know? Because Jesus, the risen Jesus, was not a ghost. It's not a ghost. Back in 2011, the great physicist Stephen Hawking declared there is no heaven or afterlife. He said, and I quote, the brain is a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Now Hawking was a brilliant scientist, one of the smartest people. So should we believe him? I would normally be inclined to because he's a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> 
There's just one problem. Jesus said otherwise. Jesus said of his own body, destroy this body, this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. And Jesus said of those who believe in him, everyone who looks to the Son and believes on him has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Unlike Hawking, who did not believe such a thing could ever happen, Jesus not only promised it in advance, he rose from the dead himself. So who are you going to believe? I don't know about you, my hope is in Jesus. The hard evidence is on his side. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're talking today about things we can hardly even imagine. And yet you tell us so clearly about these things. And may we not allow our thinking to be distorted into some other kind of thinking, though it's so common all around us. Help us to understand more and more who Jesus is and what his resurrection was about and what our resurrection will be about. We thank you, Lord, that you've not left us in the dark. We thank you for the glorious news of this day, that Jesus is risen, not a myth, not a fairy tale, not a ghost. In his name we pray. Amen.